Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Andrea on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So starting off, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, so it's just me and my husband, Brad. We live in Charlotte. Um, we're both nurse anesthetists. We met in anesthesia school. We've been married for almost two years now. Um, and we just had our first son in May. Awesome. That is so exciting. I, for some reason, didn't know you guys had only been married two years. Yeah. Oh, okay. How long did you guys know each other before you got married? Two years? Yes. We've known each other. No, because we've known each other for five years. So we knew each other for three years. Okay. Awesome. Okay, cool. Okay. So um, tell me about finding out you're pregnant. Was it something you guys were trying for or did it kind of just surprise you? Um, I think we were trying, but it was still a surprise. Uh, It's amazing how that happens, right? (laughs) Um, you know, after all, like the tests that you take when you finally get a positive, it's just crazy. Shocking. Um, We moved to Charlotte, um, like early last year and we had been married for a few months and we decided we wanted to start trying. So I had, I had an explanation on in my arm so we decided to have that removed in May of 2021 um and I had just turned 30 so I was kind of like thinking it might take a while I had no idea how long it would take um because my mom had fertility issues we have a lot of friends that do it's just kind of like they're surrounded by it so you kind of convince yourself um that it's I mean it's always a possibility so we didn't really try at first, but then I got the ovulation sticks and kind of knew where my cycle fell. And uh, even just by pretty much this time last year, we found out we were pregnant. Um, it was September 4th last year that we found out um, that I got my first positive. Um, it was like a week before my period was due, but I was like having cramping and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this could be. Let me just <laughs> and it was like, positive like the second I peed on it really like, a week yeah. early yes wow well we were having twins because me and my husband are both twins oh. and I was like oh gosh but I think that I probably just ovulated early I'm probably just like an early ovulator they actually didn't test that month um on an ovulation stick so oh. I actually know when I ovulated but it was probably just earlier than I thought And I probably wasn't like the 10 days post ovulation that I thought I was, Um, but it was not twins. (laughs) (laughs) I would have totally thought it was twins too. If I were you like a blazing positive a week before your period and you guys are both twins. I would have been like, oh, I'm, yep. These are, this is twins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Did you guys take the test together or did you take it alone and then tell him? So I took it alone, but I took it on like, um, like the easy at home ones. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're just kind of like these flimsy little sticks. You can buy like a hundred of them. Yes. And, um, I had bought a onesie that said like, hi daddy on it, like months before just to like have ready. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we went to a wings place 
and I had just gotten my COVID booster. So I was like already kind of feeling kind of crummy. And we went to the wings place. I like didn't get a beer, which I usually do like when we go to lunch or something. So he was kind of like, what? I could tell he was like, what's up? But I blamed it on the COVID shot. So that totally covered my bases. And I went to, we had gone to like the outlets and I like ran into a store and bought like a, one of like the pink dye tests. That's just kind of like, you're, you know, like you're the more accurate, like Um, the one that you like think of that you can like hold on to. And I took it in the wings place bathroom. And then when we got home, I like wrapped up a onesie and said that it was his, our anniversary present. And so like, I told him to close his eyes and he thought it was going to be like a puppy or something. He's like, what are you surprising me with? (laughs) And it was a onesie and he was not expecting with the pregnancy test inside. He was not expecting it at all. Oh my gosh. I wish I could have been like a fly on the wall. Just know oh, I have you guys. a video. Of it. <gasps> Why did I never see this? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I need to see that. That is gotta be the cutest thing in the world. Really yeah. <laughs> I love like those surprise ones. I really wanted to surprise Ashton always, but like I have, I'm so impatient. So I would just like blurt it out. Um, I know I couldn't believe like I pulled it off that whole day. Cause I knew for like a few hours. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Some people can keep it for a long time and like do some like elaborate surprise. I knew somebody who waited like four days to tell her husband. I was like, I literally would have to like leave for four days. Like I would be in a hotel room by myself for four days. Same. There'd be no way. That's awesome. Okay. So how was your pregnancy? Um, my pregnancy was fine. We didn't have any complications. Um, even when we went in for our first ultrasound, I was a week ahead, which was great. I got to like skip a week. Um, and which is why also like when I thought back to when I had that like blazing positive that I probably just mm-hmm. ovulated early. Um, and I was sick for like a little bit, you know, but it wasn't too bad. I was always nervous about throwing up at work and it never happened. It happened. It was really close one time. Um, but, and I work like I said, I work in a hospital and so some things can be kind of disgusting. And so I was, I had a few close calls, but it was fine. Um, and then I, I actually loved being pregnant. I mean, I, I think like when I was in it, there were definitely a lot of things to complain about and it kind of changed like every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, but once, especially I could like start feeling him and I started showing like all the fun attention that you get from everybody. Yeah. And, um, I, I love being pregnant. I really didn't have any, I didn't have any complications at, at all during the pregnancy. Yeah. I think people are so one way or the other. They either like, and, and that's okay. Some people don't like pregnancy. They just don't enjoy it. They don't like it. They don't like the way their body changes, but I was just like you. I, I, I love being pregnant and you know, people lean really, really hard. I feel like one way or the other way. Um, you know, they either love everything. Well, I don't want to say love everything, but love most of it right. or they just don't. <laughs> Right. There are definitely things like sleeping was really hard. Yes. Um, I had a lot of issues with um, nasal congestion mm-hmm. just because you have such like an increased blood volume that like a lot of it can be like in your nose. And so for me, it was very positional. Like if I was sleeping anything pretty much less than I am right now, which is at like a 45 degree angle, I couldn't breathe at all. Mm-hmm. And so it made sleeping at night a huge struggle, but that was my biggest complaint. Um, yeah. it, it sounds so minor, but it really just like affected me every single night. And it no, that's so annoying. 
And I'd wake up like in the middle of the night, I will have like slumped down and I definitely like woke myself up because I couldn't breathe. So is there anything you can do for that? I never had that problem. No, but you can take normally like a non-pregnant person can take Afrin, mm. um, which will just like constrict the vessels in your nose, but the pregnancy, it raises your blood pressure. Yeah. Like the medicine that's in Afrin. Um, so they say if you need to use it to use it for a maximum of three days it's like I need would to like three days would like saline drops help at all like just like sterile saline drops not really um because it's not it's not like congestion you know right. yeah right. it's not like, it's not like there's like any drainage mm. it's just because there you have such a high blood volume in your nose so Ooh, I mean I I know went away like right after I gave birth. I remember I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) That is so interesting that I I mean, I've heard people like, you know, say that they get that like stuffy nose or feeling or whatever. But I mean, I know even when I'm sick, like I would rather be have any symptom of sickness, but a stuffy nose, just like, it's so annoying because then you breathe out of your mouth and then your throat is sore. And then you wake, like, I hate having a stuffy nose. Yeah, I tried like a humidifier, but I just couldn't really keep up with it. Like trying to keep it clean. I don't know what filled this winter when if I have to use one for Thomas. But like, yeah, it just trying to keep it filled and clean is such a pain in the butt. So yeah, that didn't last long. All right. So leading towards the end of your pregnancy, as far as birth, what were you kind of envisioning and planning for, and how were you preparing for that? Um, so for towards the end, probably starting. I mean, probably starting at like 32 weeks of serpentine, red, red, three leaf tea, um, like two cups a day, or I would cheat and just put two bags in one. <laughs> well, that counts, right? Um, and so it was like my nightly routine and starting at like 36, 37 weeks, I started eating 70 grams of dates a day, um, which I ended up loving. Like I, so, yeah. I ended up really liking the dates. Um, and then closer to 37 weeks, I started doing a daily mile circuit or like a modified mile circuit. Maybe not, maybe not like 30 minutes for each segment, but um, sometimes I would. And I remember when I was in labor, I was like, I can't wait to not do another mile circuit for like three more years. It is for anybody who doesn't know, look it up on spinning babies. It's three different positions. Andrea kind of mentioned each position is 30 minutes. So it's a like open knee to chest, which is the one everybody hates an exaggerated, I believe left side lie and then upright movement type of like lunging all for 30 minutes. It's that first position though, that will just get you. It is so uncomfortable when you're pregnant, yeah, especially because I couldn't breathe. So it was oh. just like laying on your head. And then with the sideline, I kind of did like, I would just mix it up. I would do like 15 minutes on one side, 15 minutes on the other. And then I would, for my like third one, I would either bounce on the ball if I had been working all day, or I would climb sideways up and down the stairs for 30 minutes. You know, it was just That's like- commitment. Oh, and that was more, I started doing that more when I was like 38, 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in like 38, 39 weeks, I did a lot of curb walking, like- miles a day of just like curb walking I have been doing like some running I think I went on my final run at like 38 weeks or so and what else and then prenatal yoga I went to I think I went to prenatal yoga at like 39 and 2 was like my last day of that Um, did you guys do any like childbirth education classes we tried to um 
I mean, I had you. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> <So> did. <laughs> you were my uh, childbirth education. Plus, I'm, you know, I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse yes. assistant, so we have kind of just like a, a basic background knowledge of childbirth in general. I mean, it's not something, I'm not in L&D. I don't do OB every day, um, but we kind of had that knowledge. And then we did a few classes just through the hospital. Okay. Um, and, but they always just covered the basis of like kind of what we already knew, but it was mm-hmm. still good to just kind of like have a refresher and kind of like always have your mind on it and preparing. And then I just kind of, I feel like I've, I probably read like just some random books and listened to, I listened to a lot of podcasts just on like birth stories. And for me, I think um, that helped. I remember I was texting you in like March when I was home. I was like, I, I'm walking and I'm listening to your birth story and I'm crying. <laughs> You're so sweet. <laughs> birth stories are great though, because it's like easy material. You don't have to, you know, you can just do it. You can listen while you're driving, walking, working out, you know, whatever you want. And you can learn so much from just listening to other people's stories because everything, no birth, no two births are the same. So it's a great way to educate yourself. Absolutely. I think, yeah, if, especially if you've never seen a birth or maybe if you've only seen one, you know, Mm -hmm. or if you've only had one, just listening to all the different ways a birth can go. It just helps mentally prepare you for what, you know, you might have, might think that like your birth was traumatic, but it helps to listen to how other people had similar stories and makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. And like how, you know, different, especially I feel like with processing birth too, like no matter what, you know, I've had whatever your birth story is, everybody has to like process it definitely to an extent. So just hearing how like other people process certain situations that happen to them and things that they say can be like healing, I feel like, and knowing, you know, it's like anything, knowing that you're not alone and anything that you go through is always better too. Absolutely. All right. So how did you go into labor Okay. and how did your labor progress? So I went into labor on my due date on Friday, the 13th. Um, I worked up until my due date. And after that, I said, I wasn't going to work anymore. Um, and I think my baby took that a little too literally. Cause like the hour I got home, I went into labor. Um, we had said that we wanted to go to Hawthorne's, which is a local pizza place to get their inducer pizza. Um, it's just a Buffalo chicken pizza. And if you go into labor um, within 24 hours, you get like a free pizza the next time you come in. So I was already in labor. I cheated. Yeah, um, yeah you did. <laughs> um, but like that, it, that was on a Friday. So like that Monday I was having contractions for a few hours and then they went away. And then the same thing happened like on Wednesday and they went away. Um, so I didn't know if the same thing was going to happen. I was kind of just like kind of timing them. They were like seven or eight minutes apart and lasting like 40 to 60 seconds. Um, and so we actually, let me backtrack a little bit the day before on Thursday, when I was 39 and six, I went to, um, my OB just for my weekly appointment and she did a membrane sweep. And so I was, and that was my first one. I was finally uh, like a fingertip dilated um, and she was able to do a membrane sweep. So 24 hours later, I went in to labor. Um, and so once we got home, um, I remember I like texted you and you said to try to get some rest, which ended up being really hard, <laughs> um, hard to do. I did a full mile circuit um, and just like kind of bounced on the 
birthing ball and my husband went to sleep and so I just went into the guest room because I just could not sleep at all with the contractions were like every five minutes apart and just growing in intensity and I just could not um really relax between them that much so I took a bath I tried taking a shower but I didn't like the shower but I liked being in the bath so I sat in the bath for a little bit but I mostly just was with my dog in my guest room sitting on the birthing ball um or like leaning over on the bed all night long um I was so tired (laughs) already which is funny because it was just so early in my labor um and I texted you a few times just like keep you updated and then around like 5 a.m I think I had you come in over to my house and we tried a few more positions um together which was helpful helpful to like kind of distract myself it's like sometimes nice to just progress to like a new step so like you coming was kind of just like oh this isn't another step closer to him um coming so we tried some different positions that you were able to help me do and then I think it was at like 7 a.m I think my contractions are probably like three to four minutes apart at that point and then been that way for at least an hour to two hours um wouldn't you agree yeah I would say they were like right around yeah two to three minutes yeah um and thankfully it was a Saturday morning because it was like so easy to get to the hospital Oh my gosh. I don't think we passed another car the oh, whole way. Thank God. And it was like such a beautiful morning. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if that had been like a Friday, it would have been such a pain. We would have hit like mm-hmm. school traffic and everything. Um, and so we got to the OB triage. That could be like a whole story in itself. Oh my. There's been a lot of issues with this, our exact same issue. It's like all the time right now. People are not, it's a mess. It is a mess. Basically, the short of it is we arrived at the same time as another woman who said she was having very intense contractions, and I will not minimize what she was feeling, but I was very outwardly having very full <laughs> contractions. I was, like, refusing to sit down, like, leaning over a chair, screaming. You were there. And there's no help while checking you in. Just, like, rude and, like, oh, my God, poor Brad. <laughs> I just was, like, you people oh. are awful. Yes. And so Brad's trying to park both like our car and your mm-hmm. car. Um, they finally take us upstairs, but the other woman, because Brad was, my husband was parking our car. Um, the other woman got to triage before us. And like I said, it was right at seven and in the hospital, that's, that's like shift change. These people are just coming under their shift. Um, and they all went to her room before mine. Um, Jen was had to stay in the lobby. My husband is in like the triage lobby and I'm in the room by myself. With and, with two minute apart contractions and no help. And we have no idea how dilated I am. I could yeah. you could be pushing out a baby. We don't know. Absolutely. I could absolutely be like 10 centimeters. That's what it felt like. I, you know, lo and behold, I was not, but I absolutely could have been with how intense and how frequent my contractions were. Uh, I finally had to like text my husband and be like, you need to find a nurse and send her in. And the nurse practitioner opened my door. I'm on all fours on my stretcher screaming. And she's like, oh, I see. We went to the wrong room first. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then they come in. Um, the nurse checks me. Um, she, you know, she puts me on the monitors and everything, gets my vitals and she checks me. And she's like, I, you're, I don't think you're dilated. 
maybe a centimeter. I was like, there's no way. Like, I was just like, there's no way. I was going to be, I really wanted to show up and be like the most dilated possible. That was my goal. Um, I, you know, I didn't want to have an epidural. I wanted to show up as late as possible and just push this baby out. Um, and I really just did not want to show up and be like less than anything less than seven centimeters. So to find out that I wasn't dilated at all, I think shocked us all. So the OB comes in and thankfully she's like at the start of her 24 hour shift. So fresh and ready to go. And she's like, okay, I'll check you after you have this contraction. Three minutes later, she's like, oh my God, that's the longest contraction I've ever seen. Oh, great. Um, and she checks me and she says the same thing. She says, you're, I don't, you're maybe one centimeter dilated. She's like, but everybody was like, not confident in their right cervical exam. It was like, maybe I don't really like, know. I don't know what I feel. They're like, you're like oh, 200% of face, you know, I'm exaggerating, but like, you're she was like, I can feel the baby's head right there. She's like, your cervix is tissue paper thin. And she's like, I'm going to go look at your chart. And I told her like the day before the doctor that did my um, membrane sweep, she found my cervix. She said it was anterior, but she was able to do a membrane sweep. She was confident in where she found my cervix. So that's what I was like, how did they so easily find it yesterday? She was able to do a membrane sweep. And then today, or, you know, now it's like a day and a half later, um, nothing. So she goes and looks. But think about like when it was thick, it's easier to find and to hook that dimple from somebody yeah. who does, who, who used to do cervical exams all the time. But when it's tissue paper thin like that and, and, you know, a fingertip, you're going to glide right over that. Cause there's so much pressure because his head was descending Yeah, and it was just like, yeah, it's interesting. But, and so I was like, but how am I not dilated when I'm so effaced? So she goes kind of chart hunting. She comes she does an ultrasound and she does an internal exam with the speculum and that's when she realized that I had a piece of scar tissue keeping my cervical os closed and so that was from a leap procedure that I had um, eight years ago um, when I had an abnormal pap smear they did a leap to like scrape the like first layer of um cells like off my cervix and and then they do like a sweep like through your cervix and it left me with some scar tissue and so she said it was this like teeny little band of scar tissue keeping my cervix together um and making it so that I wasn't dilated and so we were I think we we're all a little confused because this is not a very common it's like not you know, unheard of. It's definitely a complication, but typically, even if there's scar tissue, like it will break mm -hmm. as you're um, laboring. Um, but for it to kind of like stay shut is just like not that common. Usually, with like a leap, you're more at risk for cervical incompetence. You need mm -hmm. like a cerclage or something. So right. that's what I was expecting. Anyways, um, she scratched it open like a little bit sounds gross, but she got me to like one centimeter mm -hmm. and said that she would admit me, thankfully. Um, and we labored for like four more hours the same way with like the super long contractions or I think my favorite position was just kind of like leaning over on the bed or like sitting on 
there was like that inflatable toilet or something yes the um see they're called a chubby or a cubby and I don't know it's probably a cubby I can't imagine I think it's called a cubby but it looks like (laughs) it does look like an inflatable toilet um yeah it was like a chair I don't think I was actually allowed to like go to the bathroom on it but like it was like no no you're not allowed to go to the bathroom on it (laughs) that doesn't make me think think of a toilet I was naked so that's why I'm thinking uh that way but um the contractions were just like out of control and so after laboring for four more hours like on the LND unit um I was like I I need somebody to check me I'm like if I'm not more dilated at this point like I don't I need an epidural like I really really did not want an epidural but at this point I was in like hour like 20 of labor and I just and I had been awake since 4 a.m the night the night or the day before and so I was just so exhausted when she checked me I was still like one or two centimeters um and so I asked her I was like why can't you just like cut it like why can't you just like cut that scar tissue and she said because it can cause a laceration in my cervix and it would need to be repaired surgically like in the OR um and so that wasn't an option it was just it needed to tear on its own and so when I found out I was only two centimeters at that point I ended up just getting the epidural um and it went in fine and anesthesiologist came pretty quickly um I mean we work at that hospital so we were kind of pushing for somebody to come quickly. (laughs) Um, And he came and he put it in um, like super quickly because my contractions were very close together. Um, And he did what's called a CSE where you do a spinal and an epidural together. And so my, I got like contraction and symptom relief super fast, which was nice, but also it like reminded me how much I just didn't want the epidural because I just, I personally didn't want those symptoms. Like my legs got super heavy. Um, it, I, could, I was now bed bound for the rest of my labor. Um, eventually like the fentanyl that's in the epidural like made me super itchy. I was back on all the monitors, um, just things that I personally did not want. Um, but because I got an epidural, I was hoping I was gonna be one of those women who like falls asleep, gets a few hours of rest and wakes up in his 10 centimeters. That did not happen. (laughs) Unfortunately, I wish. Um, And it's, although like the literature basically says that like epidurals don't slow down your labor, 100% slowed down my labor. Uh, I bet the fact that maybe I had a spinal tube probably contributed to that, but my contractions went from being like three minutes long and going like completely off the monitor in intensity to being just these like little blips on the monitor, like every like seven, eight minutes. Yeah. They really spaced out. They so spaced out and the intensity was not great, but the OB was kind of hoping that like, maybe I just needed like my like to like relax like your body I really didn't have any relaxation between my contractions they were like really like right on top of each other so she was hoping that it would just help relax my pelvic floor and have help him descend and break that scar Mm -hmm. tissue but that wasn't really the case they had to start me on pitocin and he ended up eventually just like 
you know, being in labor for so long and the Pitocin itself, he didn't really tolerate. Um, and so we would try to get some rest. We like turn the lights down. Um, we sent you home for a little bit. We tried to get some rest, but every couple of minutes, the nurse would come in because at first he was having variable D cells. So she wanted to reposition me. And because I have an epidural, it's like a multi-person event of trying to just turn me on the other side. Um, there were a few times where he had these really prolonged late D cells um, where he dropped his heart rate and I'd have to go onto all fours. Um, and that was just like increasing in frequency as the day went on. One time they had to stop my contraction with medication that they shot into my arm, uh, which like makes your heart race and makes you feel like crud. And like kind of sets you back at mm -hmm. like zero because it's meant to stop contractions. So once you get that, it's like, okay, well we have to wait till that wears off and then kind of fully restart from these contractions that we just medically stopped. Absolutely. And like when they stop your Pitocin, they have to start it back at two. The way that it's ordered in the computer is, you know, they have to start it back at two or whatever the order was for. So you're kind of starting, you're restarting everything. Um, and then at one point she was doing a cervical exam and my water broke and he did not tolerate, um, kind of not having any cushion, um, to labor down on. So they had to put an amniotic infusion catheter in, which he liked for a little bit. Um, he tolerated that more, but then again, as like the day just kept progressing, it just was a cycle of like D cells. And sometimes even like they weren't D cells, but the nurses called them D cells. Um, Continuous you know monitoring. Yes. You know, too yes. much. Continuous monitoring tells us too much though. I mean, yes. I'm not saying that you didn't need continuous monitoring because there were some red mm -hmm. flags, but um, there are definitely things with continuous fetal monitoring that people really, really overread. Yeah. Well, they definitely overtreated some very questionable D cells where you're kind of like, it was like, very, you're like, that's variability. Like, yeah, that was very, exactly. It was like a heart rate change of five beats per minute. Yes. Not, yeah, that, that happened to you a few times. I remember Right, that. but he, you know, I'm glad that I had continuous monitoring in general because there were a lot of yes. times that he really needed um, intervention with me changing my position and mm -hmm. um, whatnot. But every time he would have one of those big D cells, I would get a 500 ml bolus in my IV and in my um, AI catheter in my uterus. So I was getting so much fluid. I mean, I was so puffy. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so probably around maybe like 11 or midnight, I honestly, the times are so blurry in my head, like, and late in the day, because it, they all just kind of run together, um, is when he had a really big D cell, she came in, she checked me and I was finally the, um, tissue had the scar tissue had broken open. So she thinks he kind of just like descended down a little bit and gave himself a D cell, but I was probably like eight or nine centimeters at that point. Um, and maybe like an hour or two later was ready to push. And so do you remember like, what time you started pushing? I, it must've been probably like 2am because I okay. think someone told me I pushed for two and a half hours. So it was 2am and then the, and then we had gotten there at 7am the day prior. So under 24 hours, like right around 19, 20 hours when we started pushing. Right. Yeah. Okay, from when right. we got to the hospital. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what was it? Oh yeah. So then we're just pushing for 
a few hours. He's still having D cells occasionally. Um, we're trying different pushing positions. Um, and I had had them turn down my epidural because it was really creeping up um, to like my whole belly and I couldn't feel contractions at all. So I had them turn down my epidural um, so I could feel the contraction, but even still, and I had been sitting up very high to try to like encourage gravity to like have him advance down since I couldn't like stand up or squat or anything, which was kind of how I wanted to labor or how I envisioned laboring. I guess I was, didn't really know. Um, and the epidural kind of can work through gravity. You know, if you're laying on like one side for too long, that side's going to get numb more than the other side. So it works similar if you're like sitting way up, it can kind of concentrate on your butt a little bit. So when I was pushing, I could feel like my belly, but I could not feel like anything in my pelvis. And not having that feedback during a push, it was just like, I felt like I was just trying to use my imagination pushing. And I'm, I mean, women do this every single day. It's just not how I had mentally prepared myself to push. And so, and I was just so exhausted <laughs> that I felt like pushing was just so hard. Um, and a, towards the end of pushing, he was having a lot more D cells. Um, he just did not really tolerate the contraction with the pushing. Um, and then the OB finally decided that it was time to either, she's like either go to a C-section or attempt a vacuum assisted delivery. And so I went with the vacuum attempt, which right when she said vacuum, like, a million people came into the room um, and it was like all a blur. There was like the peds team, the charge nurse came in. I was so happy to have like the charge Thank nurse there. Oh. Her energy compared to the actual like staff nurse that was assigned to you was so yeah. much better. Oh my gosh. I know nursing out there right now is really tough. There's just, yes. uh, but a lot of units are just filled with inexperienced nurses. And so my, you know, my day shift nurse had two months of experience ever as a nurse on that unit and in total and then my night shift nurse had one month um i mean off orientation but one month um and they were very sweet but it definitely showed and it was especially apparent when the charge nurse came in and i mean that's why i was so happy to have you there because i mean if I, have I didn't five years have of experience <laughs> of nursing look at time what's one that's way more than what they have you know oh yeah so I was just like so happy to have you there. But again, you weren't there the entire day. So they were right. the ones overreacting. And I'm not doing those nursing tasks. You know, that's no, not my not. scope at all. Exactly. Like uh, how about when during one of my cervical checks, the OB takes off my blanket and my Foley was on the in the bed. In the bed. It wasn't inside of me. <laughs> not draining your bladder. Yeah. Which like if you um, have a full bladder, that's that can inhibit absolutely a baby from descending so that made me so upset that made my ob super upset so she ended up placing my um fully and when uh, she said this is the first vacuum i've ever seen her done i was like oh you don't say that that's like nursing 101 you never tell a patient if it's your first anything you just don't you act fully confident like you've done this a hundred times 100 percent. and if you're out there listening i'm sorry <laughs> she's not don't worry um, but, and I, I told that during my follow-up OB visit, I told my OB like about that. I was like, did you hear when she said that? 
She's like, no, I didn't. She's like, oh my God. She's and that's like, not to, you know, but we, we've all been new nurses. We have all been there, you know, not knowing what we're doing. I mean, I started off in the ER, like I didn't know anything. I didn't know. And nursing school doesn't teach you anything. So we are not faulting new nurses at all. We love new nurses. You're the future of nursing. That's not what this is at all. But when you are a new nurse, mistakes happen. That's how you learn 100%. But you, you definitely don't say things like that. Like to say to a patient, yeah. Oh, Hey, this is my first time being a part of a vacuum delivery. That's high risk. And you're already scared. You just don't say that to somebody. Um, so it's not a fault to new nurses at all. We've all been there made mistakes. I mean, if I had had an issue with my nurses, I would have just asked for a new one. Right. Exactly. You know, I, I loved both of my nurses, you know? Um, but I also loved the charge nurse. So we attempt the vacuum delivery. I think we did it for three contractions maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, usually I pushed like three times per contraction. Um, my first one was always the best push though. Like they always faded. Um, and the, Thomas just did not descend through my pelvis like we wanted. I should say before we tried the vacuum, I, I personally wanted the mirror, um, especially because I had the epidural. I think that if I didn't, I don't know if I would have wanted it, but because I couldn't feel anything in my pelvis, I just needed some sort of feedback to know that I was doing something. And so, I mean, there was a point that like his head was showing, you could see his head, you could see all the hair. You pushed great. It was not you. Yeah. I mean, I don't you know. Really like, good. It's so hard to know how I was pushing, you know, right. like, yeah, it, it's just so hard, but it was good to see it. Cause right. I could see him coming with the mirror. Um, but he just did not want to kind of descend down underneath my, um, pelvis. So we tried the vacuum with the third vacuum attempt. Um, he had like a huge D cell, she called a stat C-section, which is just like, you know, the quickest and fastest way to get a baby out. And usually in those types of units, they have like their own specific ORs that are right next to the L&D rooms. So kind of right when they call that, like people are ready. And this is not at every single hospital, but this is, I, I specifically wanted to be at a hospital that does have, you know, an on-call anesthesiologist and on-call OB, like people that are in the hospital and ready to go um for this reason and this is like kind of the one time that I was happy to have my epidural Mm um because if I didn't then I was going to have to go under general anesthesia to have my baby and that was personally something that I did not want to have to do and then even going into it I did really did not want to have to go under general anesthesia for I mean not just in general, but for the birth of my child, I'm not afraid of, I do anesthesia. I'm not afraid of anesthesia. Um, but for the birth of my child, I did not want to miss that. And then now, especially, I mean, like the 37th hour of my labor, I'm like, I did not work this hard to be put to sleep. Um, so the anesthesiologist, she comes in and she is wheeling me to the OR. She's dosing my epidural with a syringe of numbing medicine. And they like, throw me on the bed, I'm exaggerating, but like really like actually throw me on the bed, um, the OR table. They're just draping me up. I had asked for a clear drape. I did not get that. They said they don't have them. Um, and I was upset about that. And 
they do what's called an Alice test. Um, and that is when they use an instrument called an Alice and it's just this really sharp pinching tool and they use it to pinch where they're gonna do the incision. Um, and I could 100% feel it. Cause remember I was like sitting up, I had them turn down my epidural so I could still feel my belly. And um, this is a stat C-section. So they wanted to get the baby out like as soon as possible. And I could feel her pinching, like really feel it. You're still going to feel stuff with epidurals during a C-section, but it's just mostly going to be pressure and not sharp pain, but I could feel sharp pain. And so the anesthesiologist tells me that she's going to put me to sleep. And I was not happy about that. I told her I refused to let her put me to sleep. I think I was a little delirious at this point because I've been up for how 48 hours at this point, 49 hours. Um, and I was like, do not put me to sleep. I, for some reason, I put it in my head that I thought, you know, I could just do this without anesthesia. I said, just like, I knew that the medicine just needed time to set up. I was like, just cut me in like 30 seconds and take the baby out. Thankfully, like the epidural had started working like a little bit. I felt a lot, but it was not like I had nothing on board. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm glad that she did not put me under general anesthesia. Um, so they had cut and there's like a lot of layers I have to kind of get through, but it goes a lot faster during a stat C-section. And then I realized that Brad's not even in the room yet. So I'm like, where's my husband? And so they were like, oh, I guess we should get him. I, I don't remember. Um, so they go and get him. And he, right when he walks into the room, they call out uterine. And so when they call out uterine and the OR, that's when they've made your uterine incision and they have a goal of getting the baby out in like a minute um, or at least one to two minutes. Um, and I'm just like, so kind of, I'm shaking so much, which is super common. Um, especially when you've been laboring and you go to a C-section. Um, but I was shaking like violently, um, and which was so unpleasant. I've seen it a lot, but like just experiencing it was so awful. Um, and I was, I kind of like lost track of time. And I was like, I looked at Brad and I was like, did they call uterine? And he was like, yeah, like five minutes ago. And what's so important about uterine incision, I don't want to like freak anybody out, but you know, it does compromise the like perfusion to your uterus, which is giving life to your baby. And when he, they've already had, you know, he had a really low heart rate and that's why we're rushing to get him out. Like, you know, I'm trying not to like freak out. Um, but there's also a nurse between my legs who's trying to, cause he's, you know, in, Rammed in there yeah he's like down in my birth canal she has to undeliver him into back up into my um pelvis to get him out so they get him out um and bring him right over to the warmer I mean his first apgar was nine so I was just like once I heard that I was like I'm good you know like c-section babies sometimes usually their first apgars are not nine so I think because he kind of labored a little bit too, but that, that had helped, but I was happy to hear that it was nine. We also didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, um, during that time, but honestly, the like novelty of that just kind of like wore out by that time. Like we had this like, in like, you know, scenario in our head 
where we thought you know we were going to deliver this baby and my husband was gonna be like it's a boy but like that just did not happen like it was we were just like happy that a baby was here and that he was crying and his apgars were good and it was almost like a second thought like oh yeah it's a boy like <laughs> great um and so what and so I was just like so happy that he was finally there you know I did not have to go under anesthesia I they let me do skin to skin well I made them let me do skin to skin I was like ripping things off I'm like let me do skin to skin um and we just kind of laid there and um they like took out my epidural right when they were done sewing me up and I went to pack you and that was that was the worst <laughs> like that whole day honestly ended up being a blur like the day he was actually born he was born at 4 57 in the morning um and just like being you know obviously those fundal rubs people talk about how much how awful they are and they are but like also to like all the other like fellow c-section mamas like having like a fresh incision there too like it it's it was just like a supreme sort of like pain especially like I'm kind of like sedated in my like exhaustion and trying to sleep in this super uncomfortable stretcher and I'm woken up like every 15 minutes to like her punching me in the stomach but um we finally got into a room and that was it we had our baby on May 15th and named him Thomas Um, It's so cute. It's interesting. So this specific hospital that Andrew was at does not allow doulas in the OR. So it's interesting to hear, you know, all this and all the details from, from your perspective. Um, I do, you know, you were, you were so tired. You literally came off of a what, 10 hour shift Mm -hmm. and started labor and never slept. So when you were awake for more than, I mean, it was almost three, it was like three or four days because you had worked that whole shift before mm-hmm. and then went into labor. So it was like, it was insane. I mean, and mind you working as a nurse anesthetist, like, isn't, I'm not like not to belittle other jobs, but it's not really like, it, it's an intense job. Let's just say that. Like yeah. it, it's a very like ener- physically and mentally all consuming job. So to get off of a shift like that and then labor and you, you know, it, it was so much, I feel like so much of it too, like mentally was so hard because I remember at one point, you know, they were like, okay, you might not be any like dilated at all. And then somebody else was like, oh wait, no, I think you're eight to nine centimeters. And then they went back and said, oh wait, no, you're not. So it was so much like, I feel like mental, like back and forth. That was also exhausting because it was so hard to get an answer for like two hours on where you were in labor. Yes. And I think when I had finally decided to get my epidural, a lot of it was because I was like, there's no way to predict how much longer progress. I mean, even in labor in general, but like, you can at least have a general idea. You know, you come in your four centimeters and then the next time they check you, you're five centimeters. You're like, okay, so I'm going to maybe keep progressing at possibly this rate for the rest of the, but we had no idea the rate of progression for this. Yeah. And your OB said like, you know, that scar tissue could break in the next hour and you could go to complete or it could not break for 10 hours. And I think at the end of the day, you a hundred percent made the right decision in the epidural, because not only did it enable you to rest and relax a little bit, because we did have a lot of time ahead of us, but also with how, you know, him not tolerating the contractions and ending up having a C-section, it enabled you also to not be put to sleep. Mm-hmm. 
yes, absolutely. Like I was so happy to have it because they would never have with him, how big of his, sometimes in like kind of like an urgent C-section, um, you know, maybe the baby's not progressing. Um, they, they can still throw in like a spinal quickly. Yeah. And, um, and I always kind of had confidence when I said I didn't want an epidural that at least if I felt because I'm like a pretty petite person, like I felt like they could pretty much throw a spinal in me, but given how my labor did progress, I was happy to, that we would have never had time for an epidural or for a spinal. Um, in that instance, I definitely would have been put to sleep. So, right. Uh, yeah. Yes. It was definitely, it, it, like, it was definitely far from what you wanted, what you envisioned. I mean, even like you said, the moment that Thomas was born, you had this in vision of you guys announcing it, but things happen so quick and it's scary. I mean, even having the medical background that you guys have, I know anesthesia wasn't a scary part necessarily for you, but things, I mean, when they, I remember when she called that emergency section, it was like, pulled the bed out of the wall and you were gone. Like I oh. remember Brad trying to get on his like um bunny suit or scrubs or whatever they gave him and his shoes. And he's like stumbling out the door while trying to like put everything on. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like, it was seriously seconds and it, yes. it was really, really fast. There was no time to even talk or prepare or anything like that. Yes. And that's why my epidural hadn't set up yet because and that's what they mean. Like by my belly wasn't numb yet because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough time. Like literally it was like two minutes. Yeah. And it, it, it takes a few minutes for, or even longer for an epidural versus a spinal. They're a little bit different. One takes a little bit longer, mm-hmm. um, to set up and depending on the medicine that she used and she used a medicine that takes a little bit longer to work. Um, but yeah, I was, I think, you know, you came over like a week later and we hashed it out. We like chatted. Cause I think for a few days I was, like very upset you have a lot of hormones you have the baby blues like everything gets to you like everything made me cry every time I thought about it um but then I just like told my birth story to a bunch of people and you know I was just so happy I've I've heard of other people's birth stories that did not have as good of an outcome that were I was like in a very similar not necessarily the scar tissue thing but just the laboring with the urgency section and just not having a good outcome. And my baby, he never even had to go to the NICU. So all of those things, I was just very happy with the outcome. And especially now, like he's such a healthy little boy. So. Yeah, it is. It's, it's always, you know, so worth it, no matter what, however they need to get here. It really is. It definitely, I also hate the saying when they're like, oh, you know, and you probably got this at the hospital. Like the nurses will say, well, you know, what matters most is that your baby is here and healthy. They say that to moms who, you know, have to have emergent cesareans or don't have the birth that maybe they, they envisioned. And yes, that is true. Like at the end of the day, we all want our babies to be healthy, but I also think that really belittles the emotional side that comes with having a birth that maybe is traumatic or a birth that just didn't go how, how it was planned to go. Because that also does matter. Like it matters that you are heard and your process, you get to process these things and grieve these things. Like I, it's fully okay to cry and be upset. I was upset. Like I was upset after your birth. I had to, as your doula, do my own processing because it broke my heart for you because I know that's not what you wanted. Of course, nobody wanted that for you. And you did amazing and you did everything that you could. And it's, I just hate when people are like, well, all that matters at the end of the day is that your baby's healthy. Like, okay, to an extent, but it also does matter that 
you heal and process and, you know, just, just process your entire birth truthfully. And that definitely takes time. Definitely takes time. Um, but like you said, I love that you were able to say, you know, yeah, that's not what I wanted and what I hoped for preferred. But at the end of the day, like, I know that I am lucky with some of the things like he is healthy and there are people who, you know, have things that happen that maybe aren't as good of outcomes. And there are so many still like positive things that you can pick out of any birth. At the end of the day, I try to rest in the thought of like, everything that happened happened the way that it needed to. And, you know, we'll never know the answer to everything. Like why didn't certain things work and why did certain things take this much time? And, you know, even you can think about like, well, how come the vacuum didn't just pull them out and things like that. You can wrestle with those things forever, but you can't do that because we'll never know the answers to those things. You just have to trust and believe you did the best you could. And you did, I was there. I can attest to that. You did amazing. And he is beautiful and he's perfect. And he's so stinking cute it's yeah. you, you're amazing so I guess we'll just have to see I'll hit up in a few years when baby number two comes around and we can try again <laughs> you did they say okay so obviously the leap when you got to triage and they decided you're one centimeters I was shocked I was like there's no way she's everything looked like transition the way you were act and you are tough. You're not somebody who, you know, and and your contraction, it's not even that too. Your contractions were like in a two to three minute apart, like, like transitional pattern. Um, did they say that they don't expect since that tissue is broken, do they expect if you wanted to V back, it would be no problem. Like that tissue or the scar tissue wouldn't tighten back. Right? No. So the scar tissue won't be an issue anymore because when you, dilate like afterwards it takes so long for your cervix to like actually close back up you know what I mean so or yeah pretty much so like six weeks essentially you know Mm -hmm. for your cervix to close that's why they have you wait to have sex and go in pools and things like that so the scar tissue should not be an issue anymore thankfully but when I asked her and thankfully I was able to make an appointment with that same OB for my six week appointment. Um, and I asked her like, do you think that I'm going to be able to be back? Um, because C-sections are no joke. Let me tell you, I do not want another C-section. Um, some people they're like, Oh yeah, sign me up, sign me up for the C-section. I teach their own that it's, it was not my cup of tea. Um, so I would love to be back. I would love to give my, like have like my, redemptive birth story in a few years but when I brought it up to her her initial reaction was like total uncertainty she was just like you know I don't know why you couldn't push him out honestly um you know you pushed for two and a half hours and when I vacuumed him he didn't budge so you know there's definitely there's a reason for that you know do you have was there some sort of like cephalopelvic disproportion to, you know, do you have a small pelvis type of thing? And I might, I mean, I'm a small person, so, but small people have babies all the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a shot, but it was a little disheartening to like see her initial reaction to that be not optimistic. Like exactly. Um, so I think I'm just not even going to think about it right now. Yep. And I will 
you know, make that decision in a few years. So, yeah. Um, well, I will say I've had, I think many multiple moms V back from getting to complete pushing, um, not all filled vacuum, but pushed for hours and hours and hours, baby never came out and ended up having to have a C-section. I've had that exact scenario happen three times so far with dual clients this year. And they all had amazing V-backs. And I'm not saying that's everybody's story. We don't know. Um, but I think that you're right in the fact that, you know, it's worth giving your body a shot. Um, and I think when that time comes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to just try to like find a lot of birth stories mm -hmm. that talk about kind of both outcomes and what people did and just do my research and finding like what my odds would be. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if I'm going to stay with this OB practice um, necessarily. We'll kind of see where, where our jobs take us or, or whatnot. So I'm, I'm not totally sure what will happen, but I'll definitely be doing my research. And yes, you got time too. So don't think about it too much now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. So you are, how, how old is Thomas? Three, four months? Three months. He's okay. yeah, three months the other day. Okay. So three months postpartum, how, how are you feeling? How is life with a three month old? Oh, it's good. Um, it's great. It's amazing. He's so sweet. It's like so fun to be a mom. It's like the best thing ever. Um, and my husband is a great dad. So we, you know, some people say that like having a baby just like kind of and I'm just going to like make a generalization, but like ruin your marriage. It can really put like a, you know, um, rut in your marriage or whatever. But like for us, it's honestly been like the missing puzzle piece that we've needed. So if anything, our like marriage is the strongest it's ever been. And um, it's like so fun to see him being a dad. So it made me cry. Oh, stop. That is so beautiful. It is though. You fall in love with them, your husband so much more to see them fully blossom into this parent and to love your child so much. It is, I mean, there's nothing like it. It's truly the most beautiful thing. Yeah. You're is. so sweet. Oh, <laughs> it is though. I, I understand. It's amazing. Like I, nothing is more attractive to me even than my husband, like loving my daughter. Well, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is just so beautiful. It's such a glimpse of just this like perfect unconditional love that they show towards them. And they're always there. It's, it's an amazing yeah. thing. He like reads these stupid stories to him, like in like a sing-songy way. And it's so funny. It's so stupid. Like, I love it. And so he's on his month of paternity leave right now. I had 12 weeks of maternity leave. Um, and we work at the same hospital. We work together. We're coworkers. So cute. Um, and he now has his month off and he's, um, doing the daddy daycare full time. And so that's been fun too, because I'm glad that we kind of staggered it. He could have done that when the baby was like a newborn, but, um, honestly, the baby is just like, so clung to the mom, I think in that first month that it's hard to lend a helping hand at all but like now he's so much more able to help um because I was gonna have to be pumping and giving bottles to him anyways at this point so now he can do that the baby's more interactive he plays and he's able to read in books and everything so um, I think that they're able to you know get some bonding time in uh before we both have to be working parents. Um, but there have been struggles too, you know, he gets like his fussy moments when he has little growth spurts and 
um, you know, trying to be like a working mom now is challenging. You know, he definitely does not completely sleep through the night every single night. Um, I mean, th- I wake up at four in the morning anyways for work. So sometimes he's been at least sleeping until four in the morning most nights, which is That's good. amazing. Yeah. So um, I hear my husband putting him to sleep right now. He's like singing him a song or something. Um, oh, so sweet. Um, and so we usually put him to bed around like eight and then he'll wake up at like four. So, you know, we've been pretty lucky and everything's been going pretty well. Like the first few weeks, just like trying to heal from, you know, I didn't have, obviously I didn't tear. I didn't have a full vaginal delivery, but like things down there still got like a little messed up Mm -hmm. and like the C-section scar, my tailbone, my tailbone is still messed up. Mm. It's still hurts and not as much as it did like I was in a lot of pain with my tailbone before but it still hurts I don't know what's up with it so um you know just motherhood dealing with the aches and pains <laughs> yes ha- having babies takes it out of us it really does but it's so worth it I mean it, it just gets better it you know it just gets better they get so much more interactive and they get such personalities I'm sure you're already seeing a ton of Thomas's personality but it just gets even stronger and they're so funny they're just so funny yeah I know it's so amazing I can't wait like I don't know I, as much as when I look back at like pictures of him when he was younger and I'm like oh I miss when you were such a teeny little baby um I really, I don't find that I miss it too much just because seeing him get bigger and start doing more and more like smiling and um, like becoming more interactive is just like way more fun than anything else. Like every single day, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite age. This is like every single time he turns a new month. It's just like so amazing. Yeah, it is. It's so fun to just see them grow and learn. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So one last thing, um, first off, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was great to just see you and talk to you and hear your entire birth story from your perspective and the little parts that I wasn't able to be there for. Um, but if you had a top piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I know I forgot to think about this one, uh, I, you know, I think everybody just kind of parents on their own. So I don't really have like any parenting advice, but definitely just like take so many pictures, too many pictures, take like videos too, because, you know, I think I love that. Like so many videos are live now. If you have like an Apple phone, I don't know if Samsung Mm -hmm. does this, but like pictures can be live and you can kind of like see a short little video, but like take videos too, because it's so fun to just like see look back and kind of like see like little milestones like when they were first smiling but like you got it as a video and not like a picture and so that's my biggest advice like flood your photos I think I have my phone is littered with so many photos and videos but I need to go buy more apple storage oh I pay like 15 dollars a month for apple storage oh my gosh I only pay 99 cents you're bad yeah oh but I don't even worry about how much no that's so funny no, I pay I pay three dollars that's right I pay 14 dollars a month for apple care that's what I do either way though you're right because even when I put Adeline down for bed at night like some nights I'll be like no and I'll just sit there and I watch videos of her I'll look at the pictures but videos are like the best I will mm-hmm. sit there and Ashton will be like dude 
we, she's in the room next to us. Like you just saw her and I'm like, I know, but look how cute she is. I do the same thing. Or I'm like, he's not, I'm holding him and he's napping and I'm watching the videos. I'm like, yes. right. we're obsessed. <laughs> I bet you're at work doing that too. Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to though. I mean, like I said, yeah. babies don't keep, so you got to take every video you can hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your birth story. I'm so happy I got to see you and talk to you. Yeah, thanks for letting me share my story. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.